There's a code of silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I am Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on November the 30th, 2009. Newcomers should look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, that's my website, the main website. Scroll down and look at all the other sites I have up there. Bookmark them for future use because sometimes the big ones put me on hold and freeze my account for some reason or another, even though I'm on unlimited bandwidth. And uh, if you've got the other these other sites, you can always get the latest shows if the big ones go down again. There's cuttingthrough.jenkness.com, cuttingthroughthematrix.net, .us.ca, there's Alan Watt, cuttingthroughthematrix.ca, and there's Alan Watt, sentinel.eu. The last one is a European site. It has all the same audios for download, but also has addition of transcripts of a lot of these talks I've given which you can download for print up and they're written in the various languages of Europe and remember you are the listeners, I always say this you are the listeners that bring me to you, no one's backing me here, I don't have an alternate agenda, I don't come out uh, on behalf of the public or any site or other um, and then spin it off into the usual socialist side of things, that's how most things really go into the socialist side um, very old technique they've been using for a for hundred years or more but uh, no one's backing me so I can say what I want to say the ads you hear on the show are paid directly by the advertisers to the station at RBN to broadcast this show and it pays for their staff and their equipment and their time so it's up to you to keep me going and you can do so by buying that which I have for sale on the, on the cuttingthroughthematrix.com website you can donate as well. You can also purchase by PayPal. You'll see a PayPal button there if you send me a separate email with your order. And inside the U.S. and Canada, personal check is okay. The U.S. can also use international postal money orders from the post office if you don't want to use a bank. And that's just like a bank draft. It's paid in advance, so it, there's no problem clearing it on this end. And you can also send cash. Outside the Americas, people can use MoneyGram, Western Union, or PayPal, uh, or again, send cash with your order. And I look forward to hearing from you. Because it's up to you to keep me going. I do depend on you. It's expensive here. The equipment I'm using is obsolete by today's standards, which changes all the time, mind you, but this is really obsolete stuff. And i got the upgrade shortly to keep this all going, because I'm going backwards all the time. And you also know, too, that I've got a lot of problems uploading with ExploreNet because someone in the government's put the word into to a friend from the old school Thai club to give me a hassle. I'm uploading no more than I have been for the last couple of years. It's the same every night, Monday to Friday. But uh, they've come back by over half the speed, over half the speed, and often below that. So when I, this show's over, I always upload I'm generally finished in about three hours or so, four hours max. Uh, now it takes 
four hours at night and another two or three the next day to get the show up because of the speed they've given me. So yeah, people do target you in life. That's how the real world, world really works. They can target you. There's nothing you can take into court. They can always pull out their unfair use policy stuff, even though I'm not using any more stuff than I uploads or bit rates than I used before, bandwidth. But uh, that's how they do it. It's just through harassment and trying to get you off the air by making things impossible for you. And I've had the same thing when I was using dial-up even at times, and even just talking on the phone. I had the, the telex type machine sounds going through phone calls and phone calls getting dropped in the early days when I was on the, the phone doing the shows. Back with more after this break. through the matrix just mentioning too is to say that you support me so it's up to you to keep me going no one's backing me and as I say before many times in the past said before if it just uh, ends up into more poverty than I am then it's bye bye and I'll do something else that'll make some cash as the world goes down the tubes because it is going down the tubes it's planned to go down the tubes and it's one incredible agenda it's too big for most people to comprehend Last night, for instance, they had on the Fifth Estate on Canadian television uh, a sort of 9/11 truth investigation, and in all these these mainstream investigations, they always slip in little bits that uh, make up the viewers' minds for them because they're aiming at the, the general population who've never looked into anything for themselves. And they pretty well said that America has uh, a history of conspiracy theories. Then they bring on a book writer who makes his living on the conspiracy theorists, you see, and why they like conspiracy theories, and then they continue with the show. And that's really what it is, is how they present things, what they omit, the questions that's not asked, and what the conclusions they leave listeners with. And that's how all these exposés are done. It's... Uh, it's not new, this technique. It's been going on forever and ever and ever. And that's why I'm, I'm very, very wary of some of the big mainstream ones. Uh, I've been asked by some of the big ones who are doing uh, reporting on global warming. Uh, what my views were as a sort of pre-interview uh, to see if they wanted me on, my sh on their show. And it was a, a whole group owned by Ted Turner. And they asked me a few questions, and I recognized right away by the questions they asked and, the, and how they responded to the answers that they were not expecting someone who knew their stuff. Because I was quoting the Club of Rome and the United Nations and various pieces they'd written, statements they'd made, books they'd written, all about the creation of global warming and how it have to be done. The creation of it would have to be done. That would fit the bill. And they were astonished. They talked about half an hour, the two of them on the phone. And I knew that they'd never get back to me because they're looking for someone who doesn't really know the stuff. They want people who go into wild imaginings and then they can laugh at you. But when they find someone who simply quotes facts to them by the big players themselves, they can't, they can't come against you. So therefore you don't get on. And that's the last I heard of them. 
So I, as I say, be very careful of these mainstream exposés. They're really meant to leave Joe Average, the, the, you know, the couch potato type that watches the sports and believes the news, it's meant to left them, leave them with an opinion that, that there's a lot of cranks out there. And this has been going on for years, this kind of documentation and documentaries. Now, I get a lot of people who write to me, uh, who are nice people, who are awfully naive, incredibly naive, and enthusiastic about life. Very enthusiastic, as all young people technically should be. We all, we all should, and we should have the rights to be enthusiastic about life. But of course, when you're young, uh, you, you don't know that most of what you've been taught in school is nonsense, or, or filler, as I call it, filler. It's, a, it's like putting soya flour in all your candies. It's a filler. It pads the time at school, but the rest of it is social indoctrination to make sure that you actually think in a certain linear fashion uh, which is taught to you. That way you're easy to direct and, and program in the future by the media. And that's why they also use young people for the military. They've grown up with movies and video games and they cannot imagine ever being killed. You're too young to imagine being killed. When you're very young, elderly people seem like a different species to you. You can't imagine that you'll ever, ever look like that. That's how it really is. We've all been there. And I get some people who occasionally call me up and say, well, what about free energy? That would solve the world's problems. And that's your first clue. This person really is incredibly naive but enthusiastic and happy. The whole point of the New World Order is not to allow anybody any independence in any area whatsoever of sustainability, self-sustainability. That's what interdependence means. It means you're totally reliant on the system that controls you, and that's the key, controls you for everything that you need to survive. It's a shame people can't really get that. Um, power is power. It must be used if you want to retain power. You retain it by making people dependent upon you. A welfare state does the same thing. It makes you dependent upon them for everything you need. It takes your life over. And social work departments will run your whole life for you an employment specialist and all the rest of it they'll, they'll run your life for you some people have been brought up in those situations and families and I mentioned uh, an email a while back where a man's daughter actually talks about her social workers as though they're her friends because she's grown up with social workers advising the whole family it's everything that in life that happens to her she'll advise them for personal things and all the rest of it the government is her friend and advisor. That's true socialism, you see. And that's where we are. And we're going into it worse than ever today. The global warming scam is, uh, I get sick talking about it because I was talking about it years ago. And I mentioned over and over about uh, the Club of Rome who came up with the idea. They were given the task of finding a way to make the United Nations the king boss, the big boss, as it was intended to be when they first set it up. 
to give it powers of taxation and to raise it to its proper status where it will rule every country and it will rule them through blocks the same blocks that Karl Marx talked about he called them regions trading regions in Das Kapital in the 1800s that's not a coincidence either we followed that agenda and those, those regions our trading regions will be under a super government well that's the United Nations now it's rising to power and the Club of Rome were given the job of finding a religion you might say a religion, a belief system so a religion is a belief system based on faith uh, to bring the world together under authority under authority to obey a world where people would give up more rights than ever before and the, the only scenario they could come up with was a wartime scenario we do what we're told to save us all we're all in it together that's what the slogans say we're all in it together we must all sacrifice together and so they came up with a war scenario they have to have a warfare scenario along comes the war of terror I call it a war of terror because you see the radical socialists use war of terrors and reigns of terror and that's what we're going through now that's why 9-11 had to happen it was a must be scenario to get all this kicked off and it's no coincidence that every country signed the same exact same bills at the same time in unison all together we were now all under uh, global sharing of intelligence data we all have the ID cards coming along some countries have got them already and you carry them everywhere you go you, you have no rights of privacy whatsoever as out the window and it's a warfare scenario and during this time too for the few years past there we've had little bits in the newspapers about um, from the World Health Organization, from the, the, the Agricultural Association of the United Nations, about the coming food shortages. And it's also been, uh, they also have a massive think tank working on this permanently and have had for 16 years the coming food shortages at the Royal Institute of International Affairs. And I, I put all this stuff in my archives in the website cuttingthroughthematrix.com. So they've been planning the coming food shortage for a long time because in warfare scenarios you, you not only have ID, you also have restrictions in travel and difficult travel through roadblocks and checks and all that kind of stuff. And you get food rationing as well coming along, you see. Everything starts to get rationed. Energy gets rationed. In World War II, you had to get special permits to get gasoline or petrol as they called it in Britain. And everyone suffered and the government ruled with absolute authority they could get away with incredible powers during war scenario and that is what the war on but I called off terror is all about same thing dreamed up the club of Rome back in the 1970s and now we're seeing it implemented now they put all their, their eggs in one basket at the top and of course they said that at the club of Rome the two authors who wrote the book The First Global Revolution and it was published in the 90s, 1990s said back in the 70s they were given the task they thought about it all, they wanted a warfare scenario so be man at war with the planet would be the war scenario 
and they said uh, the threat of global warming famine and the like would fit the bill the exact quote from their, their own book that would fit the bill and therefore all the, the, the big if you think communism was dead no communism spread out and mated with its partner on the other side and merged together into the super new system the supra communistic society or collectivism as they're calling it because the club of Rome also said out of all the systems they, they would have to use to work this into existence worldwide it would have to be a collectivist system that's the one they favoured the most that's what we're under now it's called governance back with more after this break I'm Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix. Just uh, sort of quickly bringing people up to speed on how the world really is run. And the richest people on the planet, of course, are in on it. They've, they've been on it from the very beginning. They were in on it uh, during the whole Cold War scenario. And we find that uh, Anthony Sutton... Uh, Professor Anthony, Anthony Sutton wrote so many books about who funded Hitler, who funded... And it was astonishing to find people like the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers and all the big boys uh, funding the war machinery that set up Adolf Hitler under the big umbrella corporation called IG Farben. But they also funded the communists all throughout the communist era as well. And I've always said that, you, you would understand that there, the dialectic is played with two sides. Two sides are meant to get change on the go. Without the side, two sides, you won't get change on the go. You've got to have conflict. Uh, but you can guide conflicts when the, the ones on the top of either side are on board in the same direction. It's the outcome they want, you see. And it's no coincidence that the Club of Rome came out with the idea of a collectivist society, meaning a communistic style running of society under law. Law is a very big thing in all this, under law. No one ever asks them what they mean, but well, what laws it explain these laws? It's very much like the American Constitution. You know, one people under gods, and this is under law. He said, well, well ex explain these laws. Explain these laws, because you might think you know what the laws are or law is uh, but you'll be surprised to find how other people will differ with you uh, and how it's like sitting talking about God you could have ten folk in the same room talking about God they'd have tea and biscuits and a good chat and they'll like each other and go home and you never know that each one had a complete idea of, of a God or a different kind of God even if you're using the term just God and the Club of Rome is a big player, as I say. They call it the premier think tank for really creating the future, futurism for the United Nations. It comes up with all the ideas, the sci-fi scams of how to rule the world and how to implement it. And from there it's given to round table societies that then come up with the ideas to actually make it work through media, magazines, advertising, through education at school, especially the very young. 
all that stuff, the same as the communists did all through their, their era. And long ago, they decided to centralize everything. Centralization is key to world collectivism or communism or socialism, if you want. Depends which name you want to call the same thing. Centralization of a national uh, government that then makes treaty with other central governments and other nations, and they become binding. And through that, you get uh, a network. You need a place for the network to meet, so you get a United Nations. The United Nations becomes a kind of boss and arbiter, and then the United Nations comes up to power. This is how Karl Marx saw it all working. And here it all is. And it's not to be a totally communistic society. The, 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 under this odd Fabian uh, socialism, they realized they, they could not go the same way as Soviet the Soviet system. They would use all of the Soviet tactics and have the Soviet, meaning ruled by councils, NGOs, front groups, funded by big foundations. They would pretend to, de to, to demand on behalf of the public uh, more social programs or freedoms for this, that, or people with one legs, or something like that, whatever it happened to be, whatever would suit the bill. And they wanted a, a, an elitist, wealthy, intellectual elite at the top, which also fitted with communism. They wanted an intellectual, scientific elite running a country, a world, in a what they called a rational fashion. And that's why science now has been risen up to what they, what they call in science their proper place on the boards of all governments. We don't elect scientists to boards. No government itself was infiltrated long ago, and the people with insight infiltration uh, then brought them on board. All you have to do is make anything legal, put a bill through it, and it becomes legal, and you can put an elephant on the board if you want to. That's how easy it is to do. But once in a while you, you get a disclosure from one of the guys on the inside and how they've been influenced by the Club of Rome. And this is from a Dutch newspaper. It's, it says, it's from the VROM. This is Minister Kramer at the Club of Rome's Global Assembly. And it says, um, my friends and colleagues, he's speaking at the Club of Rome. He says, as Minister of the Environment, I am on the road to Copenhagen almost every day. Therefore, I see myself more as a minister for climate change. And change is what we need. Remember, change is good, century of change. You know, you know the stuff that we're spouting off in academia in the 20th century. No one else knew about it, but they mean by that. He says, here in Amsterdam, we will send a powerful message. We are here to work on the Amsterdam Declaration, which I will carry to the negotiations in Copenhagen as your ambassador. And as a friend of the Club of Rome, to which I owe so much. Like so many of you, I was inspired by the Club of Rome to pursue a green career. I read The Limits of Growth, or to growth, as a young biology student in 1972. Now that's exactly how the communists work. That all the professors put in the right places through all the universities of the world teaching this socialist policy as far back as 1972. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
Alan Watt were cutting through the matrix. Just given a little history, as I say, leading up to different articles, the history of how this has come about. And it comes about when all the little people, that's all of us at the bottom, are busy scratching away trying to earn a living and cope uh, and get bills paid and all the rest of it to survive. Uh, that's when all the big meetings take place and they have a, these guys in the ivory towers have no problems. They don't have the problems that you have at the bottom. They live off the public. It's very much like Plato's Republic. Uh, Plato talked about the guardian class that would rule the world. That would be heavily interbred for for better genes, you might say, intellect and so on. But he said, why bother uh, buying a castle and then having to get soldiers to guard the castle and pay for that and pay for servants who steal your property and your your ornaments inside and everything else? Instead of that, the, this perfect republic, world republic, would be one where the public paid for everything that the guarding class needed. So technically everything would be owned by the people, just like the Soviet system. But uh, uh, the castles not were only lived in by the high-level Politburo. And today it's the, it's the scientific elite, the political elite, and all of these appointees. They don't have to pay for any of this. The public pay for it through their taxes. They pay for the maintenance of everything the maintenance of their cars, buying them new cars, their chauffeurs. The, the public pay for their big world meetings. I read in an article recently that the prostitutes in Copenhagen are really looking forward to this uh, big treaty do because whenever the UN comes in with all these different people, their business skyrockets. Skyrockets. That's the kind of people that are ruling us as they get up there on stage with their nice suits and ties and we're told they're very respectable and well gifted people in the area of intellect and so on and we should do as they say getting back to this article here from Minister Kramer from Holland speaking at the Club of Rome the, the Global Assembly it's just like so many of you I was inspired by the Club of Rome to pursue a green career I read the limits to growth as a young biology student in 1972 and, and getting back to it that's how you see the agendas taught here you are learning a science but you're really learning a political agenda a social agenda and it creates true believers just after I had digested its importance, I couldn't wait to do my part to help save the planet. I have no regrets that I went for green. It's been a lifelong challenge and adventure, and it doesn't say it's been awfully well-paying as well. This is one of the fascinating concepts of the limits to growth is the equilibrium scenario. Not only did the Club of Rome forecast global overshoot and collapse between 2025 and 2050, interesting that's the same dates basically this 2050 that the military keep talking about in their 50-year their uh, projections of what they see in the future. Because I want to say, it also gave us a promising description of the unsustainable economy the equilibrium scenario, I asked the Netherlands Environment Assessment Agency to produce a report entitled Growing Within Limits, especially for the Global Assembly of the Club of Rome. I asked them to present model calculations of what is possible, feasible and desirable. In other words, how can we achieve a sustainable economy? 
And this is with all newspapers today, this sustainable economy. We have to produce less because we give off carbon, we use up energy, but somehow we have to get by and a lot less as we're forking out billions of dollars to Africa and, and third world countries at the same time. It means you're going to go down into utter poverty. And that is the intention, a flattening of the world. He goes on to say, this is an urgent question and the answers are promising, but there's a, there is a contradiction here. Why do we ask ourselves whether it is in our economic interest to save the planet? I have some, uh, some answers, but I'd like to stipulate two conditions. First, to begin with, we need to revise the policies that are currently driving the world to squander and deplete the Earth's natural resources. Secondly, we must drastically increase energy and resource efficiency. Most experts consider this a particularly difficult task because of the entrenched policies and practices that reinforce inefficiency. The array of potential and necessary measures can be reduced in two top priorities. First priority should be to stop further losses of biodiversity by halting the expansion of agricultural land. Now that's the, the, one of the biggest lies out there because you can go across so many countries in the world now and just go through the states. And you'll see nothing but abandoned farms everywhere. There's no expansion, it's a retraction of them, a constriction of them. Because the government since the World War II has been putting farmers out of business because of all their policies. And in their place they've been putting up the big agri-food businesses, the big five, Natural Daniel Midlands boys, Adam. And Conagra and a whole bunch of them to take over the world's food supply. That's what's happening. Because you cannot control public unless you control the food. That is what, what Kissinger said in one of his talks. You control the oil industries and you control the nations, basically. They need transportation. It's just you control, control the food and you, can, you control the whole world. So they lie here about everything, but nothing's new about lying from the United Nations because they have an incredibly communistic-style agenda on behalf of their very elite, wealthy masters. So secondly, we need to, uh, to decarbonize the energy system. Both of these priorities can be achieved at a cost of 1-2% to 2 of the gross domestic product by 2050, according to the Environment Assessment Agency report. To put this into perspective, this would mean an increase in global gross uh, uh, domestic product of 225% instead of 240% in the coming 40 years. So your standard of living is going to really start dropping big time. Even without climate policy, our energy investments would be massive. But with strong climate policy, they will be 30% higher than in a business-as-usual scenario. But if we, if we fail to take action, we will pay an even higher price in the future. And then they, they prowl on and prowl on and prowl on with their statistics. They're, they're very good at making graphs and statistics and fudging them all to suit their agenda. I mean, that's what the graphs and all this stuff is for. That's what it's all for. There's a good, a good site here. I'll put, a, I'll put this link up to uh, on my site at the end of the show. And it's called uh, IHateTheMedia.com. It's quite interesting. And a lot of good comedy in there, too, and a lot of good facts. This is a, the Weather Channel founder, the guy who founded the Weather Channel. I couldn't understand why I thought we watched 24 Hours Weather Channel. But anyway, uh, he says, Global warming is the greatest scam in history. John Coleman, founder of the Weather Channel, global, uh, it says, Global warming is a hoax. 
and bad science at that. Al Gore refuses to admit his cause is based on bad research. I'm totally convinced there is no scientific basis for any of it, Coleman said. Global warming, it is the hoax. It is the hoax. It's a bad science. It's hijacking of public policy. That's exactly what it is. Hijacking of public policy. It's a coup. He says, it is no joke. It is the greatest scam in history. And it is. We've had the climate gate come out there and uh, the big boys are going ahead as though nothing had happened. Exactly as I said it would. They can't go back now because they've spent 40 years planning this whole thing, this very scenario, this time in history, and how to control us. This article here is from The Telegraph. Uh, James Dellingpole, uh, Climate Gate uh, Sack No Longer Credible. Michael Mann uh, from IPCC urges climatologists that they should sack Michael Mann, who's only one of the, uh, the many involved in the scamming. Australia and New Zealand have both come out now and admitted their charts were all scammed as well. And this is from November the 27th. It says, Not everyone shares the BBC's rosy view of discredited climate gate scientist Michael Mann, inventor of the roundly discredited hockey stick. That's what the graph looks like. He fudged it all and put it like a hockey stick there when you turn it on its side and it points upwards uh, with their fudged figures. Uh, and unlike the YouTube comedy musical star, he's even like doing comedy on television. That's where he should be. So still less will they have to do so after the gobsmacking revelations by Steve McIntyre that in his latest paper he actually got his data upside down. He did. This guy, man, got his data upside. The graph is upside down. One of his, and, and you can see that, that upside down graph on that uh, last site I just mentioned there. I hate the media dot com. Uh, you'll see the article there about that. They show you the graphs and how they simply reversed it. They turned it upside down. One of his IPCC co-authors, Eduardo Zorita, this is a scientist who worked for the IPCC, for the United Nations, has demanded that man should be banned from contributing to future reports because his scientific assessments are not credible anymore. Zorita also calls for the barring of CRU's director, Phil Jones, and another IPCC lead author, Stefan Ramstorff. Zorita, who works in the Paleoclimate Department of the Institute of Coastal Research, has issued a statement on his website in which he complains that the scientific debate has been in many instances hijacked to advance other agendas. Other agendas. He says, These words do not mean that I think anthropogenic climate change is a hoax. He's still a believer, but he's given himself a back door for his employment, right? So on the contrary, it's a question of which we have to be very well aware. But I'm also aware that in this thick atmosphere, I am not speaking of greenhouse gases now, editors, reviewers, and authors of alternative studies, analysis, and interpretations, even based on the same data we have at our disposal, have been bullied and subtly blackmailed if they don't go along with it by these other scientists and the IPCC. So he's admitting blackmail threats go on. Lots of jobs. You'll never work again. All that kind of stuff. In this atmosphere, PhD students are often tempted to tweak their data so as to fit the politically correct picture. Some or many issues about uh, climate change are still not well known, 
Policymakers should be aware of the attempts to hide these uncertainties under a unified picture. I had the pleasure to experience all this in my area of research. Rosita was one of the contributing editors to the IPCC's fourth assessment report. He's unlikely to be asked to contribute to the fifth. Indeed, as he ruefully acknowledges, this brave admission could well be the death of his career. That's what's really good. This is what it goes. This is it's like it's like the Politburo. This is like the Politburo. That's exactly how it works. Exactly how it works. And I don't think it's all coincidence. November the thirtieth, New York Post. Climate uh, cult con is hard to bear. When, when did global warming turn into a forced religion? My daughter came home from school recently with a spring in her step and a song on her lips. With no foreshadowing or time to call an exorcist, out came this chilling refrain. You can hear the warming, the warning, global warming. By the time her father and I removed our jaws from the floor, we had learned that all the children had been coerced into singing this catchy ditty, which we called the warming song, at a concert for parents. Further song lyrics scolded selfish adults, that would be us, for polluting our planet and causing a warming scourge that would, in no short order, kill all the polar bears and threaten the birds and bees. There was no deprogramming session on the menu, and no arguing allowed. The international climate gate scandal is now moving into its third week, and reaction from folks on the scientific and political left, or is that redundant, who treat global warming as a cult in which naysayers must be crushed has been depressing. Total denial. The scandal began when someone hacked into the server at the Climate Research Unit at the University of East Anglia, England, and uncovered a cache of messages between leading warming gurus. These emails revealed guys deeply frustrated by planetary temperatures that stubbornly had refused to rise in some time. Were they afraid of losing their scientific juice or their funding? Well, I've got the funding of some of them. It's, it's incredible. Multi-millionaires now. So as the, the emails proved, the scientists did something about it. They cooked the books to exaggerate global warming. Of course, how can you scare the bejesus out of little children and small animals if you can't make the mercury move a millimeter? Simple, you lie. But while one rival scientist predicted that shocking revelations would blast a mushroom cloud over the theories of climate change, that has not come to pass. The Obama administration's climate advisor, Carol Browner, totally ignored the smoking e-trails, or emails and attributed the scandal to a very small group of people who continue to say this isn't a real problem and that we don't need to do anything. What am I going to do, asked Browner, side with a couple of naysayers out there or the two and a half thousand scientists? Well, what about the three thousand and three and a half thousand that won't let in to give their opinions on it? That's never mentioned. So she says, I'm sticking with the two and a half thousand scientists. I think it was Theodore Roosevelt said, you know, there are lies, there are damn lies, uh, and then there are statistics. Uh, I would add to that, there are graphs. In other words, see, it's science, see, it's science, meaning that's a fact. That, that's, that's how it's presented. That's, see that graph there, that's a fact. Just like a statistic. That's how we start beating you in arguments now, they, they quote statistics. 
No less an authority than the New York Times sought to explain away the most damaging email sent by scientist Phil Jones, who said he employed a trick to make temperatures appear higher than they were. And on and on it goes, doesn't it? On and on it just goes. And it will go on until we all forget it because we've got another crisis coming along. We'll take our minds off it. And before you know it, um, we'll all adapt because that's what people do at the bottom. They adapt to whatever system they're in. Feudalism, uh, capitalism, communism, and then and it's something new. They just adapt, adapt, adapt at the bottom. And once one generation passes, it's all normal. It's always been like that, you see. That's how it is. It's always been that way. And from the Sunday Times, November the 29th, 2009, scientists at the University of East Anglia have admitted throwing away much of the raw temperature data on which their predictions of global warming are based. That's because scientists asked for it. This is standard policy. Scientists asked for the raw data to see how they arrive at their conclusions, and they try and match it. It's the only thing you have to go on, is the raw data. Anything else is sim simply conjecture if you don't have the raw data there. It says it means that other academics are not able to check basic calculations said to show a long-term rise in temperature over the past 150 years. The University of East Anglia's Climatic Research Unit was forced to reveal the loss following requests for the data under Freedom of Information legislation. The data were gathered from weather stations around the world and then adjusted to take, a, why were they adjusted? To take account of variables in the way they were collected. And I keep the music coming in, so I'll be back with more on this article after this break. And this is Cutting Through the Matrix, reading from the Times Online, November the 29th, on what happened to the climate data, the raw, all the raw material that must be there for investigation by other scientists, because that's what science is. You ask for the data, and you try to repeat uh, the formulas to find out if they're correct. If it's all gone, all you're, all you're left with really is someone's idea. You have, you have nothing to prove anything with. <laughs> so anyway, it says here, um, the data was gathered from weather stations around the world and then adjusted to take account of variables in the way that they were collected. The revised figures were kept, but the originals stored on paper, this is what they're trying to tell us here, this multi-million dollar scheme, that they stored on paper and magnetic tape, were dumped they dumped it to save space. This is what we're told when the CRU moved to a new building. The mission follows the leaking of a thousand private emails sent and received by Professor Phil Jones, the CRU's director. In them, he discusses thwarting climate skeptics seeking access to such data. He also tells them how he scrubbed stuff. In a statement on his website, the CRU said, We do not hold the original raw data, but only the value-added, quality-controlled, and homo homogenized data, meaning all the fudge stuff. But not how they got to the fudge stuff. The GR CRU is the world's leading, leading center for reconstructing past climate uh, and temperatures. 
Climate change skeptics have long been keen to examine exactly how its data were compiled. That is now impossible. So we're going to go change our entire ways of living because of something that can't be found, that's been scrubbed. We have to take their word for it. Entire change of living. Massive taxation. Massive taxation on every citizen of the so-called first world countries. Massive, like you've never seen before, into carbon credits and personal carbon credits and personal punishments for using too much energy and so on and so on and so on. And they're going to give billions supposedly, they're supposedly going to give, give, they won't arrive to Africa or wherever, you know that, they've been in Africa for 500 odd years, this stuff is just a way to bring us all down to the same global plantation, where the scientists can rule us, like Bertrand Russell said the same thing, and so did uh, Huxley, uh, if there's going to be a, a tyranny, I prefer to be a scientific tyranny, that's what they, they've envisaged ruled by scientists, you know, the intellectuals who run on rationality. That's what we're told. And they will be relentless. If they think it's bad now, you ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. If you thought the BBC, if you thought that the communism was bad, you ain't seen nothing yet. You're on communism with steroids, collectivist society, with a fascist elite at the top, who believe they've got better genes better intellects because of better breeding than you do at the bottom and they want to bring your populations down drastically as you fork out all your cash to them not a bad plan eh and we also know that um, the UN uh, chief was at that commonwealth meeting recently telling them all to sign on why should, be telling, why should he be telling our, our supposed leaders to sign on to anything huh? what kind of democracy is this well the UN is not meant to be democratic at all Ever was, never was from Hamish myself in Ontario Canada we have got about one inch of snow they called it a snowstorm on the, on the weather program it's good night. I mean, your God or your God's go with you.